Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 8 of Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be reading Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. Well, uh, this this angel or messenger flying in the midst of heaven is um, undoubtedly the Lord Jesus Christ, the messenger of the covenant. And uh, he is the one who um, determines and decides, now is the season. Now is the season um, to send the flood in the days of Noah. Now is the time. And then it was time for Christ to come into the world and and uh, walk amongst the people of the world. Then came the time, the season of the church age. And then the end of the church age. Then came the time of the great tribulation. God is is the decider. Uh, he is the determiner of his times and seasons and this proclamation that the messenger flying in the midst of heaven. And if we look up the word fly, we find that it, it does oftentimes refer to God. God um, flies upon the wings of the wind. He is the one, of course, that is able to send his word forth very quickly and flight is is a good illustration of the speed that the word of god can take and uh here in uh verse 6 of revelation 14 there's been a change in program we we read of the 144,000 the first fruits unto god in the previous verses but now uh, suddenly there's another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them. It reminds us of uh, what we read back in Revelation chapter 7. First, remember, let, let me turn back there. In Revelation 7, it said in verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000, and so on until 12,000 are said to have been sealed from 12 tribes of Israel. And then after that, it says in verse 9 of Revelation 7, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. This this other group 
a very large group, a great multitude, just suddenly appears out of out of nowhere in heaven. And we, uh, by God's grace and through his opening of our eyes spiritually to understand his word, since we're living in the time of the end, God opened up our understanding, the, the eyes of our mind to see, oh, the, there's 144,000, the first fruits. That is representative of all those saved during the church age, followed by this great multitude. And then a little further down in verse 14, the Lord has the question asked, from whence came they? That is, where they come from? And the answer is, these are they that came out that have washed their robes and made them white through the blood of the Lamb and have come out of great tribulation. And once God says that, he identifies that great multitude with a particular time and season. They cannot identify with anything else, just like the 144,000 in Revelation 14 are connected to first fruits. Uh, that pinpoints the time in which they were gathered. The, the first fruits relates to Pentecost, Pentecost to the church age. And now we have it all laid out. But God carefully makes sure we have the necessary information to see First, I save those in the churches. Of course, he doesn't go into the 2300 evening mornings that follows the famine, that follows the, the, the season of first fruits. But we, we get that from other places in the Bible. And, and then the second part of the great tribulation, the latter rain for the last 6100 days brings in the final harvest, final crop, the, uh, uh, that identify with the Feast of Ingathering. They are the great multitude that come out of great tribulation. Well, even though it's not specified or or laid out in in the kind of detail that Revelation 7 is laid out, we have a similar picture here. 144,000 are discussed and described in the first five verses, followed by another messenger flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And notice that the everlasting gospel uh, is preached. It says to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Now, uh, consider those four things that God is mentioning and compare to Revelation 7, verse 9 again. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne. Four groups are likewise mentioned there, and that's because in verse 6 we're being given a glimpse into the um, council of heaven, the council of the Godhead. It is time. The 144,000 are safe and secure. Now we progress to the next stage. It, we're in the great tribulation. It, it is the time to send forth 
the latter rain or the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit or a second jubilee period has um, now been initiated. And so the everlasting gospel is preached unto the people of the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that uh, is where the great multitude is located outside of the churches. And since the everlasting gospel is preached to them at uh, a time and season in which God has determined to save so many, well, there is a result, a great multitude that God saves and and finishes his salvation program uh, in a glorious way. Truly, the Lord saved the best for last, um, which was said of the water that was turned into wine. Uh, after all the wine was gone, there uh, they had no more wine. Well, Christ did a miracle transforming the water to wine, and then it was um, it, it was given out to the wedding guests. And everyone loved it. It was the best wine uh, imaginable. And and it was even said, you save the best for last, which is unusual. Men normally serve the best at the beginning and save the worst for last. But God, in his salvation program, decided, well, uh, I'll, I'll save some in the Old Testament. Not that many. I'll save many more uh, during the New Testament church age, but still not as many as might be thought. And finally at the end, when the world's population has exploded, when the churches are all dead and and under my wrath and, and um, unable to be utilized in the least way, then I'll save the, um, the, the best I'll save the most of all the elect that I had predestinated to receive salvation. I'll reserve the vast majority of them to be born at that time into a world that uh, in which the beast has been loosed and, and iniquity is multiplying and there has been a falling away, a great apostasy in all churches. It is at that time when the the trouble of uh, sin is is at its zenith when the the world's iniquity is just tremendous that i will use a few my people to accomplish the purpose of sending forth the gospel into all the world so billions of people here and and through that i will save tens of millions that the great um, completion of my salvation program. Uh, what what a glorious plan that gives God great glory because here he had a huge and vast arm that represented him, the churches and congregations of the world that number about 2 billion in a world of around 7 billion. And certainly if you want to reach a world of about 7 billion, well, uh, having, having resources of people that, that are 2 billion is a good start on the way. And yet God says, oh no, oh no, I'm, I'm not going to use 
one of them within the church. I'm not going to use any denomination, not the Catholic, not the Protestant. I'm not going to use the pope, nor the bishop, nor the priest, nor the pastor, nor the elder, nor the deacon. I will use none of it because they're all an offense unto me. They have all uh, rebelled against me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to judge them. And there will be none saved. Not one of the great multitude will be saved in that little season within their churches and congregations. Well, when we uh, think about that with our human reasoning and our, our human understanding, we would, we would conclude, well, then it's just impossible. It, it's, it's an outright impossibility for the gospel to go out into all this, this world that is the, the population is enormous. The, it, the, it's the greatest population that's ever been upon the face of the earth. And you want to save more people at that time when you're finished with your church that, that happens to have ideal locations in just about every nation of the world. But, but you don't want to use any of that. Instead, you're going to use a few of elect people that you will utilize outside of the churches and congregations. And, of course, with man it would be impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. And so the Lord raised up the electronic medium to just grow and blossom and bloom in in a tremendous way in all the earth at that particular point in time. He had held the knowledge back from man of electrons and, and so forth for thousands of years. But according to his infinite wisdom, he finally opened up the secrets of some of the secrets of the earth to give man insight into these things and then slowly watch man um, uh, work and develop the technology until there it was at precisely the time it would be needed when the churches were finished. God wouldn't use them, but now a few, just a few of the elect could band together and pool their resources and send forth the word over radio waves and and over internet and and satellite broadcasting and just just incredible and and uh, it was primarily through these means that God would get the word out and the great multitude would hear as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and become saved what what a um a, a glorious god god is to to map out all these things and and to uh to showcase his mighty power and ability wherein he gets all the glory for not only doing the work of redemption from the foundation of the world but he gets all the glory at the final end to uh, apply that redemption to this great multitude of sinners, and they become saved. Well, uh, now in our verse in Revelation 14, where this 
uh, other messenger is flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. It uh, It is very similar to what we read back in Revelation chapter 8. Revelation 8 was the chapter that um, uh, focused upon the judgment on the corporate church and God uh, d- uh, he he spoke of the church as the third part, and and time and again, uh, the third part came under judgment in that chapter. Well, at the end of the chapter, in the very last verse, in Revelation eight verse thirteen, uh, it says, "And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice." Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three messengers which are yet to sound. And then in Revelation 9, uh, God is going into detail describing Judgment Day. Uh, and, and Judgment Day began on May 21, 2011, and we're still living in the Day of Judgment. And, and so the three woes had to do with the judgment on the nations. Revelation 8.13 was a transition verse from the judgment on the church to expand and enlarge and include now the judgment on all the unsaved inhabitants of the earth. And and so we, we see the similar language, an angel or messenger flying through the midst of heaven and saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That is the Lord Jesus, who again is making the change in time. Okay, the, the great tribulation period is over. According to this verse in Revelation 8.13, Judgment Day on all the world begins. And we have a similar transition verse and uh, Revelation 14.6, remember again, except this, Revelation, excuse me, let, let me just say this before uh, going on. Revelation 8 was primarily focused on judgment, judgment on the third part. We, we didn't read of the 144,000 being saved um, uh, or anything like that. It was, it was the judgment of the churches. Then... Um, transitioning to the judgment on the world. In Revelation 14, God is looking at it from a more positive angle of salvation. It's the salvation of the church age, 144,000. And then there was a transition from that saving program to another saving program. And again, the angel flies in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach. And so, in a sense, this is a verse or language that signals transition from from one stage to another stage. And in this case, it's from the end of the church age to the great tribulation. And it, it's within the great tribulation period, within that 23 years, after the 2300 evening mornings, that God does begin to evangelize the world once again and to save the great multitude that Revelation 7 declares came out of great tribulation. 
Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.